Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. This is Reality Check Radio. I'm Paul Brennan. It's Tuesday morning. So we were going to have a break, but there's, well, just too much going on in the past 12 hours or so. So we decided to do a bonus feature this Tuesday morning. Last evening, at around 6 o'clock, News Hub released their Read Research poll, the News Hub Read Research poll, and they tell us that New Zealand First is in a powerful position. Here are the figures. So Labour on 26.5%, National 39.1%. Oh, by the way, Labour's gone down 0.3%. National has gone down 1.8%. Actor on 88 down 1.3%, and the Greens have gone up 1.9% to 14.2%. And New Zealand First on 5.2%, and they've gone up 0.6%. So the News Hub Read Research Poll is telling us that Winston Peters and New Zealand First across the line. That means Peters is back. They tell us the party of Māori is losing momentum. According to News Hub, falling down to 2.2%. The Opportunities Party is hot on their tails at 1.9%. And the New Conservatives are 1.1%. No recording of the support for Democracy NZ, NZ Loyal, or Freedoms NZ in this poll that I can see anyway. Essentially, they're saying that between National and ACT, not quite enough seats, so they would need New Zealand Firsts six seats, which is what the 5.2% means at the moment. They tell us the reality is dawning on Luxon, and he's now made his intentions clear. He will pick up the phone to Winston if he absolutely has to. So obviously with this poll out, we want to talk to Winston Peters, and we had the opportunity to do that last evening. So in just a moment, that chat with Winston yesterday evening, so Monday evening. And then we are going to have a one-off political panel, a special sort of addition to digest the results of this poll and the others, and the direction of travel, given that we are, what, three weeks away from this general election on October the 14th. So joining me after we hear from Winston will be Cam Slater, Marty Gibson, and Marie Buskey to chew on this as a special one-off edition of our political panel. Normally we do it on Friday mornings, of course. NZ First, I'm reading from the headline, NZ First in a powerful position as ACT support crumbles, Labour's catastrophe continues, and uh, they tell us that uh, Peters, Peters they say, uh, and his New Zealand First has crossed the threshold, he's coming back to Parliament on these numbers, and the Kingmaker crown is sitting atop his head once more. Winston Peters joins me now. Winston, thanks for coming back to Reality Check Radio. No, thank you for having me on. Okay, you got that uh, kingmaker crown sitting around in a cupboard somewhere that you're going to wear for us at some point? Look, we've got months and months of this conversation in the media going on about people going with whom and ruling people out. And the big issues of the day, the massive cost of living, the crime, the gangs and illegal drugs and things like health are all falling by the wayside as urgent matters. And that's a tragedy in a democracy going into a critical election. We're yeah. keeping focused on that. We're not being carried away by all those other um, so the circus of speculation, it helps no one. I was just trying to have a bit of a laugh. Um, okay, so they sound surprised that you've crossed the threshold. 
No, I'm not surprised as the word is alarmed because uh, so many of the political parties have gone out and made all sorts of statements and promises which we know on the fiscals and on the latest pre-election um, fiscal update on the 12th of September that they can't, they can't possibly uh, uh, fulfil or deliver because the, you know, the cupboard is bare, so to speak. Now, I just wish that we could focus on that because we can become the much better economy we should be and we can do far better for people. But there are so many out there, about 65, 70% are either struggling with costs or seriously worried about costs. And they're not getting the assurance of this campaign that somebody's got their back and they intend to help it in a big time and turn the circumstance around. So we're going to stay focused on that, carry on our massive public meetings we're having everywhere, and uh, we are certain and confident that the public will understand the need to have a presence in Parliament that is grounded, is based on common sense, and it's got balance and experience. Is that 5.2 accurate, do you think? No. Okay, what do you, what's your gut? Where, what, what's the range that it's more in? I think a whole lot of people have dislocated from being interviewed by pollsters and by the media, and they're angry and they want a chance to speak, and that time will be at the early vote on the 2nd of October or before the end of the 14th of October, 6 p.m. that night. That's how they, in my view, are saying to themselves, I can't trust you people. I've been misled by so many in the mainstream media on so many things. And I just want a chance to make my view known, and I'm confident personally that we've got a significant support base there. Are you surprised at National when they should be really peaking at about this time or or, or having the energy of, of heading towards a peak, a down 1.8% according to this poll? I'm not surprised at all, and I don't want to, want to go into an examination of that because no, it, would, no. it would sound like criticism. But here you've got a government that since New Zealand first left in 2020 has been month after month, a mess on after mess, scandal after scandal, ministers going down and policies not working and still promising in a campaign where the leader spends most of the time eating sausage rolls and that becomes the headlines. And he's had so many photographs doing that when New Zealanders out there know that there are real issues they want to be and have addressed now. They know that we, if we work and save together, we all pull our weight, we can pay our way out of this debt and get ourselves back to a circumstance where we used to be a great country but they are so unhappy with a whole lot of things which they regard as priorities, but which an elite and, dare I say, the mainstream media and a whole lot of politicians seem to have no connection to. And I understand what they're saying because those people are coming to our meetings. We have a serious question time afterwards, and they're all on the basic things that people are really concerned about, not the woke, lovely to have uh, globalist-type plans which don't affect ordinary people in the hamlets, the villages, and the towns and cities of this country. I think um, Luxon was reported as as saying to Hosking that uh, if you called, he'd pick up the phone. So he kind of knew this was coming, didn't he, obviously? I don't know what he said to Hosking. Um, Hosking kept on telling him not to call me. Um, but that sort of bias, <laughs> that yeah. sort of bias for the radio listeners coming but Apparently up. he said if you call, he, he would take the call. So Luxon. I don't like follow the sequence. Are you saying that Hoskins asked him if Winston Peters called? I, I don't know what the question was. I just read the the, yeah. the quote from from that, well, that call. My response, my response to Mr. Hoskins is 
Mr. Hoskins, why don't you actually call Winston Peters and have a 10-minute interview? Oh, so he hasn't been talking to you? No, no. The last time I spoke to me, it was promised five minutes. It lasted exactly two. Oh. Uh, he wasn't interested. And I thought, Mr. Hoskins, your problem is that you've got a great lot of listeners who are concerned as I am, and they want to hear about what can be done to improve the circumstances dramatically, not just as a promise, but based on reality and sound ideas that work. They've worked overseas and they'll work here. They used to work here as well, mind you, before we forgot them. Okay, and your um, view on where actors, um, they describe here as taking a tumble, what's going on there, do you think? Because this affects the numbers and where you could be involved, right? Well, it's not complex. If some of these people who are commentators and experts in politics knew what they were talking about, a party that's got a policy for 2% of the population will likely only get 2% of the population's vote. And that's been that's been Act's history most of the time for the last 30 years, the same distance and time that we've been going. But if you've got a policy for only 2% of the population, then you'll not be able to get too much, many more votes than that as people come in the crunch of focus of an election to look at closely what you're standing for. So it's no surprise to me at all. It's not a criticism of uh, the Act Party. It is a statement of understanding of how policies and politics works. Not surprising at all, and it'll go down further. Well, he hasn't been very nice about you, David Seymour. He said some things, you know, that aren't very pleasant. <laughs> when he had his end to life bill and he hit the wire and he knew he couldn't pass it, in desperation he came to me and said, now you might say he had to be desperate, and yes, he was, but he came to me and said, look, uh, what could I do to get it over the line? And I thought, would well, you ask me openly and candidly, I'll tell you what I think. You can pass the legislation, but you must have a clause in there that it's not the parliamentarians who will decide. They'll pass legislation, but the caveat or codice will be, but there'll be a referendum. And if the people endorse what the parliamentarians have done, you'll get it through. If you don't, it's going to fail. And he did that and sent me a very effusive letter of gratitude. And I'd like him to release it to you and the rest of the media to tell you how things really are when you need someone's help. Okay, because he called you a, a strange little man on this show um, a while well, back. Just, look, just, look, look, I'm not part on of the, the game, right? Part look, of the game. I'm on, but look, I'm not on the spectrum. That's why I can talk to people. Okay, got you there. All right, our listeners want to know, that if you're in there, it looks like you are going to be in there, and if Axe trajectory carries on the way it, it looks like it is, you're probably going to be in there with more. Holding feet to the fire. I mean, how much can you do it? How much of a handbrake, more than a handbrake, because you don't don't want just want the handbrake on, you want to be going in a certain direction as well. How, how realistic is it for you to be a serious influence? Well, just give you the evidence. It's 2017 to 2020. Foreign Affairs was in a mess. It lost 100 diplomats in a country that desperately needs people offshore, like Ireland and like uh, places like uh, Singapore. Two and a half times more diplomats than we've got working hard on trade and things like that. They were in a mess and I turned that around. I turned around our foreign aid to be far more respectable. We were heading to be the lowest in the whole of the OECD. Our Defence Force had a $20 billion Ford plan with not one cent set aside. And with Ron Mark, we turned that around as well. Kiwi Rail was being utterly run down, shut down all the way to Whangarei, going to be shut down to Auckland and elsewhere. And we turned that around. And then on critical issues like, for example, the infrastructure of the provinces where all the wealth is in exports, 
We had a provincial growth fund that did so much good. It was rubbished by so many commentators. But, you know, it was only a billion a year for all of provincial New Zealand, which is a minuscule amount given that they're going to waste $29 billion on light rail on Auckland alone. So we made dramatic changes there, and they'll be around 30, 50 years from now. I can give you issue after issue where we made dramatic changes of improvement. And that wasn't a handbrake. That was a positive, long-term, structural and sound policy. But we were handbrake and stopped stupid and silly ideas. And the moment we were gone, people started to realise what a handbrake looks like and a positive turbocharged influence in the same cabinet looks like. And we did all that. And the same we prospect for 23 to 2026. That's our obligation. That's our duty. And something far more important, I don't think the commentary get that this is an awful responsibility on election night. You're there having campaigned hard against others, knowing that the number one thing the country needs is a safe, stable, long-term government as much as you can organise it. Uh, as much as they want to be safe in their houses and crime and law and order is critical. So that's the things that you have to talk to your caucus colleagues about. We've been through it a number of times and said, look, whatever your predilections is, whatever your biases, whatever your egos might be, for goodness sake, leave them outside the room. Collectively, you and I are going to have to make up our minds when we've had a decent discussion and looked all the, through all the facts and all the fiscals at what we can do, and it'll be a democratic decision, decision where 90% plus will decide, not 51 versus 49%. Um, do you think the National Party can get over what has looked like, historically anyway, as sort of Winston derangement syndrome? Do you think they can get beyond that? Oh, look, I saw someone being interviewed at a National Party meeting today uh, being asked what they thought of Winston Peters. Now, it's hardly going to be neutral and fair, but the reality is a lot of them said, no, that's fine. And I know that in the National Party caucus, like they were in the Labour Party caucus, a whole lot of people would have wished that their leadership had kept their word and not just been deceptive towards us. They'll always regret it. And there are a whole lot of people in the National Party will know that before we even come, that their preference is not to work with that. Their preference is to work with New Zealand first, but no one's asking them. Right. And if you get a repeat, it's very unlikely, but it's interesting. If you get a repeat of what happened that you've described to us, what happened in, uh, what was it, uh, 2017, where, you know, it looked like, um, you know, the, the leader could have been rolled and, and people were saying things behind the scenes, came back to you and um, you went the other way. If you sense that again, what do you do if you've out ruled out the other party? Well, it would be catastrophic. I hope that they've learnt their lesson from 2017. It wasn't Bill English's fault. I mean, this is a guy, Bill English, that I've got some time for because I've been around for a long time and I was on the Dominion Council of the National Party with his mother. <laughs> you might laugh about this, but I thought to myself, okay. I don't believe that they are going to try and roll this guy covertly behind my back and he's telling me they won't have the numbers. And I thought to myself, no, I think this is a very appalling, unstable situation. And I've just been in the past time, I've lived through it when I shook hands with Jim Bolger and a person not even capable of doing the job was being groomed to run and lead the National Party as the Prime Minister. And that's the Manziel case you've heard about. Yeah. This yeah. one time, one thing after another. And I thought, and if you ask me, is that like in 2023? Well, I'm certain the National Party would have learnt their lesson from 2017.
You've, you'll be dealing, though, with, okay, a corporate leader, but someone who hasn't had a history in politics, not an electorate MP, as I understand it, so doesn't have that sort of that backstory there, that experience that you have. So you're going to have to kind of factor all that in in negotiations and, and the way the sort of the dance goes, right? Well, if I just learned to fly the plane, but I didn't have a co-pilot who was the navigator, I'd be rather concerned. But maybe he would love to have a co-pilot who's a navigator. Right. He's been there before, knows where the long-term geographic target is. Yeah, and how to keep you a get, schedule. If you get my point. <laughs> yeah, I do. All right, anything else? Oh, a quick view on why do you think the Greens have had a bump? Is that because there are people searching around, you know, the, the miners, where to go if they don't like the majors? Is that how that works? Well, there's been a massive dissipation, particularly amongst young voters who have been scared witless by this threat of extinction in terms of the climate and that all the world's about to collapse and end. There's been no uh, honesty and transparency about the alternative views. The fact that we've only been measuring this for the last 100 years or the fact that the world has had climate change down for thousands and thousands of years. Look, we in New Zealand actually got the contract when I was foreign minister to do the drill holes and bores in Antarctica. And guess what they found by getting those core samples deep down in Antarctica? That it used to have things like banana, bananas and tropical fruit there one time. Well, wow. You see what I mean? Yeah, things change. Things change. Yeah, it's just that and we it, don't measure it over those long periods of time, right? Yeah. My question of the carbon dioxide is only 0.04% of the Earth's atmosphere, and humanity's contribution to that is only 3% of that 0.04%, then could we possibly find out the facts? And as we're finding out the facts, remember that China and India and Russia are doing nothing about it, the United States virtually as well and so as much as others, and we're only 0.17% of the world's problem. The Greens are prospecting, sending people to penury, bankruptcy, and joblessness and massive starvation with their plans and policies. I just hope enough reality sinks in before the election. So fear has driven that little bump, do you think? Just fear yeah, of... Oh. Designed to. If you, if you can panic people with the seat to think it's all over, then they might well go your way. But I am confident as time goes by, we'll find out the fraud in what they're saying. Now, I am utterly anti-pollution. Uh, we started New Zealand first on the basis that one of our founding principles was that sound eco uh, environmentalism, good environmentalism is sound economics. Look around the cities and see the pollution in the creeks and the streams and everything else that's going on. And we need to fix that up. And I tried to get the Greens when I was there and found the money for them, $200 million dollars. And I found that money for them to take, uh, for example, the Huntley Power Station and turn it into a, a rubbish recycling into energy instead of the waste and all the dumps for all of Tauranga, Bay Plenty, all of the Waikato and all of Auckland. Do what they're doing in Scandinavia. Turn a problem into an asset and minimise its carbon effect as well. But no, they just thought, well, that's nice, but how do we do it? And the answer is, well, how about give the job to somebody else? I would have loved to have had that project and had it going now. Okay, and not long to run before the big day. So you, you feel like you're on the right, just to sum up here, you're on the right trajectory, that sort of the peaking at the right time. Is that is that how you're feeling? That's how I'm feeling. But I'm also seriously grateful to a lot of people in their thousands now and people who work for New Zealand First. They're doing all those jobs, setting up the halls, making sure everything's on track, 
doing all the stuff under the radar and who've just had a true belief from a long way up when we were being marginalised, centralised and stigmatised by everybody, as you well know, and shut out as we have these big meetings with no media presence, they stuck at it knowing that we're going to make it home and make it home big time. And I'm pleased for them, not myself, but I'm pleased for them that they're going to get a reward for all their hard efforts and for being true believers. As a former ad man, I do like the uh, do like the ads and the and and the if and, and that's that's come across well. I got to say, well, especially that line of you can bear to hear your words twisted by names as a trap for fools, and I've had it over and over and over again. But it's my favourite inspirational poem when I was a young person, and yeah. it's never changed. And I thought, what a tremendous message to send someone! It's a magic poem. All right, thanks for giving us a, a few minutes uh, this morning and interesting to see how things are shaking out. Hopefully we can chat again before the big day on the 14th of October. Thank you, Winston. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Just tell your listeners that uh, to hang on. Let's take back our country and hopes and help us on its way. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.